Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. What's good? Ahead on the best 60 minutes of your day. We are now inside of 60 minutes until the revealing of the first college football playoff rankings on ESPN. There really is only one correct top four. I'll tell you who they are, and Jamel will agree. Uh, The way this World (laughs) Series is going, who knows how long we are away from the Astros, perhaps ending their 55-year wait for a pennant, or will Justin Verlander follow Game Game 5's home run derby with a pitching masterpiece? And who won the NFL's trade deadline? Hint, it's the Patriots. They win everything. We'll tell you who lost, too. Yeah, oh, God. The Browns. <laughs> Again, here's a look at tonight's 6-6, six and six, and later we'll show which Halloween costumes went hardest in the paint, although none of them top what we pulled on his and hers the last couple of years. But that's neither here nor there. We start with perhaps the conclusion to an epic World Series. Yeah, we give you the six defining moments in this fall classic. Uh, that got us to tonight's game six. It was all good for Clayton Kershaw in game one when he seemed to table the talk that he doesn't perform well in big moments by striking out 11 and walking none in seven innings of one-run ball. Game two set a World Series record with eight home runs, four of which the Dodgers pin gave up in the ninth or later. Game two also set the standard for a wild World Series games in recent memory, or so we thought. Game three, Yuli Gurriel opened the score with a homer off Hugh Darvish, then proceeded to make an offensive gesture in the dugout for which he should have been suspended effective immediately, but instead will sit the first five games of next season. Now in game four, the Astros' bullpen gave up five in the ninth, with Cody Bellinger hitting the tie-breaking double off Ken Giles, who also lost his gig as closer. Now the stage seemed set for Kershaw in game five, but he couldn't hold a 4-0 lead. He gave up a game-tying three-run homer to Gurriel, and suddenly Kershaw's critics were salivating. Dave Roberts curiously went back to Brandon Morrow for a third straight day in the seventh, and he had Nada. Game five lasted five hours, 17 minutes. Second longest game in World Series history. Features three three-run deficits overcome. Seven of the World Series record, 22 homers and counting, including three game-tying homers by the Astros. A combined 25 runs and 28 hits. Now with the chance to clinch their first World Championship, the Astros have to wonder which Justin Verlander will show up tonight. The one who in three potential series clinching games during his career's 3-0, allowing one earned run with 21 strikeouts. Or... The one who's winless in four World Series starts with a 6.43 ERA. I've seen two of those, and it hurt my heart. <laughs> we now turn to our MLB analyst, Aaron Boone, live from L.A. So, Aaron, which Verlander should we expect to see tonight? The one who has been dominant in series-clinching games or the one that struggled in the World Series, especially when you factor in that this Dodgers lineup just scored 12 runs in Game 5? Jamal, I think someone much closer to the dominant Justin Verlander. He's in a great groove right now. We saw him before the game, and he looked like a prize fighter. Locked in from the get-go, and I think he has he will take the mound tonight with the expectations that he expects to finish this game. And for a guy that is likely headed to the Hall of Fame, he could go a long way in punching that ticket with another dominant outing tonight. All right, Aaron, pitching opposite Verlander, of course, is Rich Hill. Hasn't thrown 80 pitches or gotten into uh, the sixth inning in any of his three starts this postseason. Given how many innings L.A.'s bullpen has been forced to eat, uh, what should be uh, Dave Roberts' leash, if you will, for Hill tonight? It'll be long, and, and as long as Hill is pitching well, 
he will pitch deeper into the game than we've seen in quite some time. The bottom line with the Dodgers is their bullpen is beat up. And for as, for as much as the strength as it was in the first two rounds, in the first couple of games here in the World Series, they're depleted now. They are beat up. They are going on fumes right now. So I think he looks to extend Rich Hill through the middle innings, and then at that point we'll try and piece something together, hopefully for the Dodgers, if they do have a lead. All right, we appreciate it, Aaron. Now, keep this tweet from Buster Oney, everybody. Uh, this is Clayton Kershaw texting Dave Roberts Monday, telling him he's ready to pitch in game six. Roberts told him to be ready to get that last out in game seven. The way this series is going, we deserve a game seven. All right, uh, the committee is sure to give us plenty to talk about tonight. In the meantime, here's what people are talking about in anticipation of the initial top four. Which one lost team should be ranked higher? Clemson, whose only loss came when Kelly Bryant was concussed, or Notre Dame, whose only loss is to Georgia. Do the Buckeyes belong in the top four coming off the comeback against Penn State? But is Baker Mayfield right that OU should be ahead of OSU? And as hype as we all are for tonight's show, remember that seven of the 12 eventual playoff teams were ranked outside the top four of the initial rankings. Heather Denich is in Grapevine, Texas, outside the committee's meeting room. Heather, what do you think the discussion will be when the committee releases its rankings in less than an hour? I think we're all going to be talking about Ohio State either way. If they're in the top four, Oklahoma's going to be mad. They're going to be saying, wait a minute, we beat those guys on their home turf, and Baker Mayfield has already kind of pointed that out. And if they're not in, then Ohio State fans are going to be saying, wait a minute, we just beat what we thought was the number two team in the country in Penn State just days before these guys sat down and got together to discuss this. So I think win or lose in the top four for Ohio State, we're all talking about the Buckeyes here in a couple of hours. All right, Heather Dinich, we'll be hearing a lot more from you very shortly on our reveal show coming up at 7 Eastern on ESPN. I, I could care less about the poll. I mean, what, 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 what significance does a poll have right now? I mean, all we're talking about here is the challenge of our season and where are we going to be in the poll if we don't play well in the next four games. So I'm focusing on the next four games. I could care less about the poll. You won't see me wasting any time watching TV or watching who's one, who's two, and it really doesn't matter. What really matters is how you play the rest of the season. You know, if I'd have been thinking, I would have put Georgia one. And I'd understand if the committee put Georgia one. But out of respect, Bama's one, Georgia two, Clemson three, Notre Dame four. I look at it, Jamel, like Clemson, they may have the worst loss, but they have the best excuse, which is Kelly Bryant being concussed against Syracuse. I I hear you, but my top four still looks a little different. I got Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, and I have Oklahoma because I'm buying what Baker Mayfield is selling, which we'll get to shortly because I look at Oklahoma and the loss they have to Iowa State, a team that's Pretty, pretty hot, good. pretty hot right now. Just beat TCU, and I see Joey Galloway already snickering. So I know he's gonna have some issues here. <laughs> you got Ohio State in your top four. Who's in your top four? I don't. I have uh, I have Ohio State at number five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and the problem with Oklahoma is they play close games at Kansas State and Baylor, and you know, and Texas. And so they hadn't looked like the same team since the Ohio State win. So that's their issue. It's not about Ohio State right now. It may be later. Oh, we're doing the eye, the, you know eye, what I mean? the eye test type of thing. Is that what well, we're doing? Well, sorta, but. <laughs> At this stage, if they went out, they get in. So the conversation at this point, if you're even close, I'm okay with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we got four or five teams in there that you can sort of interchange, and it won't matter because there's so much football left. Do you agree with Nick Saban, though, that it's, 
Look, watch the show, please. <laughs> yeah, but right. the significance of the polls at this point, what I believe is the first of six rankings, the significance is really kind of overblown. And I'll, I'll say this. I don't understand, guys, why it's got to mean something. Why is everything got to mean something? Why is everything got to be significant? Why can't it just be fun and fodder? Well, but you have to understand this, too, though, Mike, uh, before we get to you, Joe, yeah. is that college football, this is what they do. That's exactly. why the preseason polls come out when they do. Yeah. I think, personally, they should wait for a month into the season. But this is why they release this now. So we'll be arguing and talking about things yeah. that may not matter at the this end. Why I have a job? And so, <laughs> Keep it real, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and so it matters for sure. It doesn't matter to Alabama. It doesn't matter sure. to Nick Saban. It, it shouldn't matter to Baker Mayfield. It shouldn't matter to Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State. Because quite honestly, to to worry about tonight uh, when you're playing Oklahoma State this weekend, the biggest game of your season is coming up. And the reason why you will either get in or be eliminated is coming up this weekend. To be worried about what happens tonight is kind of crazy. So I agree with Nick Saban and his attitude of it doesn't matter. And he's speaking to the guys in his locker room. He's telling those guys, look, we could be number one tonight, but if we lose any game right. along the way, we're mm-hmm. out of Which this Which is thing. why so, seven of the 12 in the yeah. initial have not made it. But it does exactly. matter because if the whole conversation is going to be about your body of work, uh-huh. then how this committee sees you from a ranking standpoint is going to dictate whether you're able to make the move up or down. So let me ask you this because we've had uh, – the lowest initial rank of any eventual playoff team was 16. That was Ohio State, of course, in the first college football playoff rankings release. So we've seen teams come from way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, seventh, 16, 15, those are the last three, uh, the lowest ranks for the eventual playoff teams in the last three years. So who can come from out of this top four, five, and six and make some noise down the stretch? Well, we sort of kind of have to see where they put them at tonight. And I do believe there's a good seven or eight teams that will be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because the Big 12 has so much left to play with TCU, with Oklahoma State, with Oklahoma all still having to play each other, um, those games will matter. With the ACC, with those teams all still having to play each other. And the things that get interesting tonight is where's Auburn ranked? Because Auburn will matter to Clemson. They'll right. matter to Georgia. They'll matter, they'll matter to Alabama. And so as we watch tonight, it isn't really about who's in the top four. It's where are these other teams ranked? Right. Where's mm-hmm. Michigan State ranked? Because you know, that don't matter to Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate the knowledge. Thank yeah. you. Bam! We got action. The NFL trade deadline was kind of lit. Felt like just yesterday we were asking if MVP Cam was back. Now he's back to not having an impressive group of receivers as the Panthers have traded Kelvin Benjamin to the Buffalo Bills for third and seventh round picks in 2018. The Bills reached out, and with Devin Punches and Benjamin possessing more or less the same skill set, Benjamin looking to get paid after the season. It apparently made sense for Carolina. This morning, uh, the Dolphins traded Jay Ajayi to the Eagles for a fourth rounder, believing that his knee issues are catching up to him and that his best days are behind him, according to Jeff Darlington, as far as the Dolphins are concerned. Ajayi, who hasn't scored a touchdown this year, adds to the league's third-ranked offense. The action got started last night with the Garoppolo trade. More on that in a second. And then the Seahawks traded for Texans tackle Dwayne Brown, whom Houston shipped to Seattle for cornerback Jeremy Lane, a 2018 fifth and a 2019 second. Jamel, which of these trades will turn out to be the most meaningful? Yeah, I think it's the Jay Ajayi trade because, look, to me, that's low-risk, high-reward. Rental for Philly, I don't think they, when you consider the fact that I believe he was a fifth-round pick, they give up a fourth, okay, big deal. Given the position that they're in right now, where they sit in the NFC, why not? You know what position the Bills have not been in? The playoffs. It's <laughs> no, 17 years. Five and two? They're five and two. Yeah. I, you didn't know what they were quite doing at wide receiver. They, they traded for Jordan Matthews, traded away Sammy Watkins. Now they go out and get Kelvin Benjamin, who apparently the Panthers had had enough of. And I can look at the Panthers' side of this. It's like, wait a minute, what are y'all doing with yeah. Cam now? Like, I, What's he going to say the next press conference? I mean, look, no disrespect to Funches and Samuel, and I know Olsen's on his way back, 
but it's almost like they're turning back the clock as it relates to getting him weapons. I know Benjamin has been a little chunky here and there, and they had their reasons. Right. But you're telling me that Samuels and Funches are ready to be your top two receivers for Cam Newton? Yeah. I if, like what Buffalo did. If I were Cam, I would definitely have a problem. I, I love what the Eagles have Meanwhile, done. Meanwhile, did Houston cut off his nose to spider's face uh, a little bit? I don't know if they did, but the Seahawks, they're going to definitely benefit. All right, now, as meaningful as those trades were, the blockbuster trade involved Jimmy Garoppolo going from the Patriots to the 49ers for a second-round pick. Now, this would be the same Jimmy Garoppolo who only has started two career games, but this is also a 49ers team that has the third-worst QBR in the league. Here's the 49ers' new quarterback. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, for sure, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, just when I first found out, I... Can't even describe how excited I was. Just, I mean, uh, you know, time in New England was great. You know, I thank them for everything. But, I mean, to come here and, you know, uh, come into such a great organization, I mean, it really is a privilege. And I'm excited about it. It's, it's going to be a good thing. He's excited. You must be excited. You're a 49er fan. You got This has got to be a, a big deal. Look, for you, I right? know we're in the hot take industry, but I have a lukewarm feeling about this. Look at the last five quarterbacks that Bill Belichick has traded. Oh, All right, go. Drew Bledsoe. He's got the best record. And I think he was 35 and 35 when he moved on. There's that part of it. There's the the body of work. Two career starts. I mean, two career games. You think you got who? With? 63 pass attempts. I guess I just don't Run know. Run let us Even though we'll talk about the Patriots situation later. This was somebody that everybody identified as a successor to Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is where Bill Belichick gets in everybody, everybody's head, including mine, where I'm thinking, well, well, why did he give him up? If he was supposed to be all that, and maybe he's not all that. I don't know what the deal is. I know that there's a part of me that maybe I got too latched on to the idea of Kirk Cousins, but I understand I think the 49ers having to take a shot now because you never know what's going to happen. Fortune favors the bowl here. This is a second-round pick. They spent a third on Beathard. Right. Okay, so you, you satisfied watching Beathard? Or for that matter, Brian Hoyer? No, I'm not. But they went out and got somebody who, no, he does not have a large body of work. And, and nobody knows whether he's really good or not, certainly outside of the New England cocoon. I understand your concerns. But you couldn't guarantee that Kirk Cousins was going to come there, number one. Number two, you can't base Matt Castle's mixed results in Kansas City or what JT, uh, excuse me, uh, Jacoby Brissett uh, has done so far in Indianapolis say, and I say, do, oh, Belichick I, got over again. I do like him better than I do the incoming quarterback. That's what I'm college, saying. So. That's even more unproven than a guy that's had two starts. He's, what, mid-20s. He's been trained properly. That's why I, I've always been a fan, whether it's Matt Hasselbeck or Matt Schaub. I've always been a, tr- a, fa- a fan of going and trading for somebody that you have NFL film on, even if it's in a preseason and limited regular season action. Okay, that doesn't give me comfort when you bring up Matt Schaub, by the way. He was pretty good for a while. For a little bit. When, 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 Atlanta, when it went, south, when it went from went Atlanta south. to Houston at the beginning, he yeah. was the best quarterback they had until this guy in, in their history. All I'm saying is this: you got somebody that's been trained in an NFL offense that's not making a transition from college to pro. So I'm all for this trade, and it's a second-round pick. You know, it's not like they gave up the farm for him. One second-rounder, it's a well, good trade. Well, here's what I do San like. Francisco. If he does work out and given what the 49ers record is, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe Saquon Barkley looks good in the 49ers. See what I'm saying? As opposed to spinning the high head around it. All right, now the biggest trade loser, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Check this out. According to Adam Schefter, the Bengals and Browns agreed to an A.J. McCarron trade at 3.55 p.m., which was five minutes before the trade deadline. But the Browns had the Browns. According to reports, the Browns were so busy celebrating the trade, they failed to call and actually accept the Bengals' offer. Per Schefter, (laughs) the Browns notified their acceptance of the trade moments too late. They tried to argue that the trade should be allowed, and the NFL said, nah. By the way, they were going to give up a second and third round pick. Cleveland, I I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Ah! I got nothing. Why? I got nothing. 
Why, why must the Browns brown so brown? Why can't you brown a little bit lighter? Why? This is the dumbest thing I've ever what, heard. What, can they go from brown to tan? Is that what you're saying? So, is, okay, so you I mean, might did the have Wi-Fi not work? Like, what happened? Were you trying to fax it? <laughs> smoke mean, signaling it. Smoke, y'all, smoke the highest mouth. So, you just don't want a quarterback. They don't want one. They don't want one. This, this. Carson Wentz might be the MVP. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson might go to the Hall of Fame <laughs> at this rate. And he might be the rookie. He's probably the rookie of the year. You passed on both of them. You got your quarterback, and you miss him, allegedly. Please don't let this be true. You miss him because he's celebrating. You're right. celebrating, and you're like, oh, I thought you were calling. Oh, no, you're supposed to call. I, 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 I. <laughs> it's like when a wide receiver Man, drops it, a pass thinking about already scoring, You're right? talking about can't get right. I'm so angry. I'm not even a Browns fan, but I want better for them. I really want better for them. <laughs> they need to want better for themselves. So here's the thing. You work in a division rival <laughs> to trade you a quarterback. I know. Meanwhile, if you A.J. McCarron, right now you're like, woo, thank this, I, God. They got to be more to this story. They got to be more to this story. You refuse to believe that the Browns have done this. This, this. got to be this more to this story. This is the most Brown story that's of why all I can't, time. And that's why how, how Brown can you get? What else can Brown do for us as it relates to fodder, to clown? Like, I told you before, forget the jersey with all the guys that did play. Show me the jersey of all the guys that should have played for the Browns. Whether that's Ben Roethlisberger on down. If I were a Cleaver, Cleaver Brown fan, instead of having those names of the quarterback graveyard, they just need to put, you know, mistrade deadline 355. That, there you go. That's your, that, that, I'm this mis- frustrated me. I'm, I'm vexed. I'm terribly You're vexed. Terribly- I'm terribly vexed. <laughs> this frustrated me to no end. Yeah. I can't believe this. Yeah, but believe it. And that's what happened. So, unfortunately, Cleveland, you still don't have a quarterback. And you know what's so messed up? is like we both like Hugh Jackson. We both like Sashi Brown. You that's go back I'm, with that's him. That's why I'm angry. That's why that's it's why just like, what are you guys this, doing? It's got to be, gotta be okay. something else. You gotta have some sense to, to count that. I mean, you talk about head to head, they beat Penn State, and both of them are still ranked higher than us, I think. Uh, but it's just, I don't understand it. All right, that was Baker Mayfield seeming perplexed as to why uh, Ohio State might be ranked ahead of them, even though they beat them earlier this season. Kirk Herbstreet seems to agree because in your top four, you also have. OSU ahead of them. Um, I don't know how you did it because they actually played. Probably like the committee. <laughs> you, you must think they're just a better team and the tiebreaker of head-to-head doesn't matter, right? Well, I, I think for me there's more than just the one game. Oklahoma deserves a lot of credit. Uh, to me, I call that their trump card uh, as we continue to go down the road. But, Jamel, the one thing for me, if you watched Oklahoma play from the Ohio State game on, they played the next week and looked great. But since then, it's been a really rocky road against inferior competition. Uh, they went on the road against a winless Baylor team and didn't look great. Uh, they, they lost to Iowa State. Uh, they, they had to pull out a victory against Kansas State on the road, who's a 4-4 four and four team. So uh, my point here is we sit here at Halloween, even though they beat Ohio State, that, that, as I said, down the road could come into play. If they take care of business, and you look at what's ahead of their schedule starting this weekend with Oklahoma State, they still have TCU, potentially a Big 12 championship game. If they win all of those and it comes down to Ohio State and Oklahoma, then I think mm-hmm. they pull that trump card out and say, bang, we beat Ohio State head-to-head in Columbus. But because of they've just been very erratic and very inconsistent, especially on defense, I just don't think right now. Look, the AP, they're 9 
nine. The coaches poll has them eight. So it's it's not as if people are going out in a limb uh, having Ohio State right now ahead of Oklahoma. That might be their ace of spades, but uh, or big joker. Well, no, I was about to say the committee will still pull out the big joker and say no. We view Ohio State as a better team. See Ohio State, Penn State right. last year. Even though Oklahoma could have a better or have a really good body of work and that head-to-head win, the committee may just still see them simply as a better team. To your point, since they last played. All right, so your top six, Herbie, Bama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State. I still got Clemson in my top four because I think they have the best excuse, maybe mm-hmm. the worst loss, but best excuse is in Kelly yeah. Bryant's injury. And then you got Oklahoma six. We know that we've seen teams come from outside the initial rankings and make the playoffs. So who right now that we assume is going to be on the outside looking in tonight, do you look at it and say, by, when it's all said and done, that team could crack the top four? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because you're right. And we've had these playoffs now for three years. And two of the three years, we've we've had teams come out. At, uh, Ohio State came back. I think they were number 16, 16. when the first rankings came Oklahoma out. Was went all the way to win it. Oklahoma in 15. Exactly. And so Michigan State when seven. you look out there at a team that's kind of off the grid, I, I guess you have to almost look at the Pac-12 and maybe a Washington or a Stanford who still has some good competition ahead of them. Clearly, they're going to have to win out and, and, and hope for some, some help to be able to get back in the discussion. Uh, but I, I would have to say it'd be Washington or Stanford. Let me throw you guys a curveball here because this, to me, is, is, is the potential chaos that a lot of people like to hope for. Everybody wants to talk scenarios. My craziest scenario is this, and it's not that far-fetched. What if Notre Dame wins out? Mm-hmm. Their only loss would be to Georgia by one point. They're sitting there at 11-1. and one. They still have Miami on the road, Stanford on the road. What if they win out? Think about if you have Georgia playing Alabama. Let's say Georgia ends up uh, winning out and losing to, to Alabama in a very close game. Alabama's undefeated. Alabama's obviously in. Yep. Notre Dame, in my opinion, if they're 11-1, and one, they're in. Yep. How can we d- decline Georgia if their only loss is in a, a bonus round game against Alabama that they lose by a field goal or whatever, a close game they right. lose at the end? I think Georgia would get in because it's all about putting the top four teams in. So you could potentially have Alabama and Georgia and Notre Dame all in. Who in the world is that fourth team? Yeah, the one is it Clemson, Michael, like you said? Ohio State, is it the Big 12? Is it the Pac-12? I yeah. mean, it, it is See, potentially I, I, I always, a lot of chaos coming up down the road. Because only in the SEC do the wins and losses count the same. But hey. that, that's, a, that's an argument for another day. Now onto the pros. The judge has already denied the NFL Players Association emergency motion for an injunction on behalf of Ezekiel Elliott. That was just their latest effort to fight his six-game suspension over domestic violence allegations. Elliott did not attend team meetings on Tuesday. He could still appeal, but if his suspension goes into effect, he will not be eligible to play until Dallas's December 17th game against the Raiders. Here's Jerry Jones on the legal battle. Two years ago, uh, this wouldn't be an issue. Uh, before Ray Rice in the league, this wouldn't have been an issue because the commissioner shows where he really wants to come down when he did Ray Rice. Sure, he'd like to take back his initial Ray Rice uh, uh, stance and a few others, and he's in the process of having uh, tried to correct that, and in doing so, uh, Zeke is a a victim of an overcorrection. If uh, we have a player or we have somebody guilty of domestic violence, they shouldn't play. Uh, but this is not the case. He's not. In our society, he's not. I think you and I from Jump Street had that. Mm-hmm, we okay, did. We both said the same thing. So there's no need in going over his guilt or innocence right now. 
What he is not is eligible. He is suspended. One minute he's not, now he is suspended right now. So bottom line, are the Cowboys done without Ezekiel Elliott for the next six games? Yeah, I know the temptation because you hear when people, whenever they discuss the Cowboys and their offensive line, they make it seem like anybody can just do what Ezekiel Elliott Garrett says the runner matters. No, it does. It definitely matters. And you can see the drop drop in production with that same offensive line with the other running backs uh, that the Cowboys have. Look, given where they stand right now, what the Eagles are doing – this is this is going to ruin. This is the end of their season. You know? I mean, this is it because uh, right now where they seem to have kind of gelled a little bit, they've kind of gotten back to form that we saw that they were in last season. Anything could happen, but look at that schedule, Jamel. It's tough. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, the Eagles, what they're doing, the Chiefs. <laughs> I just don't see how they climb out of this if they don't have that guy. There. All right, so just look at the landscape of the NFC. Right, whoever is the king in the North, that's one. The Eagles should win the NFC East. Rams, Seahawks in the West. Saints and I'll say the Falcons in the South. I haven't written off the Falcons. To the point about the runner mattering, and you saw this with your team firsthand two mm-hmm. weeks ago. Ezekiel Elliott has rushed 29 and a half times the last two games. So they're not even conducting themselves as a team that's got a committee. They have backups, but they don't have a committee. They are so dependent on him rushing and receiving down in and down out until their identity is taken away when he is suspended. And they depend on him to close games. That's what I'm saying. So it'd be one thing if they said, hey, we may be without him. Let's lean more on Alfred Morris or Ross Smith or Dan McFadden. No, they've been riding him. And how do you go from riding him to him being in the garage, suspended, and now you got to move forward. No disrespect to Dak or Dez, but I'm sorry. Completely different team and not good enough to survive this NFC. It'd be interesting to see where those Roger Goodell contract negotiations go now. Astros, same eight position players we've seen for most of the series. But they're using the same batting order they used in the first two games at Dodger Stadium. L.A. Meanwhile, Jock Peterson's in left, Logan Forsythe at second base. Both of those guys getting their fourth starts of the World Series. Carl Ravage, what you got? Well, Michael, believe it or not, we have rain here in uh, Dodger Stadium, something we're never accustomed to. We're also not really accustomed to playing World Series games on Halloween, so maybe there's something to that. And this is not your old man's World Series anymore. There's George Springer. He's 28. He's been hammering the ball for Houston, and now the weather conditions change, so maybe some of those home runs that he's been able to hit wouldn't necessarily fly out tonight. Then you get to the young kids. Bellinger is 22, four RBIs in that Game 5 loss. Felt like everybody had at least one RBI. He had four of them in that game. And then the other big three of Altuve, who's 27. He's the short guy there. Correa is the big guy with his arms around Bregman. They are both 23 years young. And you're talking about veterans. I got two of them right here, David Ross. Couple of World Series, and Mark Teixeira won one with the Yankees back in 2009. As for Justin Verlander, you could not have asked for a better script or scenario for that guy. And a minimum of 15 innings pitched, the best ERA in a potential series clinching game, which obviously this is 0-46. Other guys on that list have all been great pitchers and have all delivered. All right, David and Mark, tell me what makes Verlander such a challenge, even though they just saw him a couple of days ago. Well, from a catching standpoint, Justin Verlander has got a plan, and him and Brian McCann are going to work that plan. But his stuff is what's going to be the game changer. This guy's fastball, and I'm all about the fastball as a catcher and fastball command. He commands the top of the zone with his four-seamer better than anybody else. We heard Corey Seager talk earlier. The four, it's as straight as a string, but it got some serious backspin action. And you know as a hitter, Tex, when you got that ball climbing the top of the zone, it looks really good at your eyes, and, and you're sitting all over these fastballs and these fastball counts. 
and you know he's got that breaking ball and slider to go with it. But when you're able to command the top of the zone, it makes it really tough as a hitter. It's, it's a very tough fastball to hit as a hitter, and these pitches that are up, we are taught to swing at the balls up in the zone. Every pitcher is throwing the ball down, two seamers down and away, breaking balls in the dirt. So we want the ball elevated up in the zone. The problem is Verlander's fastball up in the zone is so hard to hit. You can't lay off of it, but you can't hit it either. <laughs> it looks good right out there. The closer it gets to your eyes, we talk a lot, the closer it gets to your eyes, the better it looks. And that's really close up there at the top of the zone, but you're not hitting 95, 96 right. up there. Okay, it looks great, and then when it's in the catcher's glove, it looks awful. Like, oh. <laughs> why did For the Astros, and you guys have talked about it too on Baseball Tonight and now here on SportsCenter, the Dodger bullpen's a little beaten up. That's partly because of how they've been used. It's also because of that Astro offense, right? Yeah, you can't beat up, beat up the Dodgers' bullpen too much because you have to give credit where credit is due. And the Astros' offense has been so good. I mean, we talk about Altuve and Correa and Bregman. Let's not forget about George Springer with his three home runs and his OPS over 1,200 this World Series. They have so many weapons. It's just tough to pitch to this lineup. And the bottom of that, and the bottom of that order, sometimes like guys like Brian McCann. I mean, he, he hit a homer the other night. You got those guys get going. Marvin Gonzalez, a big homer off the closer, Kenley Jansen. I mean, when those guys are producing, and it feels like a different guy each night. That's a sign of a good team. Focus on the team that's one win away from a World Series. Rich Hill will be on the mound. When asked about his stuff the other night, he felt really good about it. He has absolutely figured it couldn't have gotten much better, and yet he lasted only. Four innings. So that'll do it from here, from Dodger Stadium. Back the next hour to talk more about this critical series as you take a look at the Dodger Dogs. I mean, we all set. I'm going to get me one of those tonight. Yeah, I'm on my way to get a Dodger Dog in just a second. You haven't had one yet. Look out. Bad costume. Look out. Good costume. How about that look that David Ross brings tonight on Halloween? How about that look? A Texans spokesperson says an orange prison jumpsuit Halloween costume worn by Jadavion Clowney was not met as a shot at owner Bob McNair. It should have been. Right. And it was if, brilliant. He sh I, I mean, and if it weren't, you didn't realize, like, you know what, man? I can't dress like an inmate coming off of this week. Right. So he knew exactly what he was doing again. You didn't right. say it. You didn't say you it. Have nothing that's to a great costume. You have nothing to cover up about. I think that's a great Bring idea. Bring celebrity to it. Yeah. Again, going back to the Dwayne Brown trade. I know he was a holdout, but man. Alright, Ty Lue told reporters that the Cavs had an air it out meeting. Good. The infamous team meeting before today's practice. He wouldn't provide any further detail. They're three and four. They host the Pacers tomorrow night. They're not just three and too, four. Too soon for a team meeting. It's though? never too soon for a team meeting. Never too soon. You know I like to meet. You know I like to meet. Three and four. We just be talking. Always talking. Just talking. I like it. There's nothing wrong with meeting. Let's meet. You see how they're playing defense? What do you have to air out after seven games? Like Clearly something. You, I, see, I told you yesterday the other day. It's a big deal. I'm like, look, they didn't win the championship last year. They have no reason to coast and live off of the euphoria of ending the championship curse in Cleveland. This is a new team for the most part. Yeah. They're not defending. And they're losing the teams in ways that they shouldn't. I'm not talking about, and like, fluky. I'm talking about not playing defense. Teams. Exactly. Yeah. And those teams might be improved, like Orlando. But not Knicks. playing defense. You said Knicks? I did. Okay. Not playing defense and giving up threes? No, they should meet before it gets out of, out of hand. Uh, they met last night at LeBron's for his annual Halloween party, and he may have outdone himself. Pennywise? I didn't, that I was didn't, pretty did good. Did you see it? I did see it. Now, that's saying hey, something for LeBron to outdo himself because he was Prince a couple of years ago, and, and, and it was great. That's what I was thinking of, the, of the Prince costume. This but, is pretty good, but, but this one is pretty good, and, <laughs> and then it requires good. a level of, of commitment because given what the makeup but is. But he's playing for second on his own team. Uh-oh. Who's I, first? I, I T, my man Jason Mitchell from New Orleans, I love you, 
Oh. But IT could have been easy E. Cruising, Cruising down the street in my six four. <laughs> I mean, he really, that's pretty. And then the, the, the key is the, the pose. That's the key. Mm. Man, that's, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay. It's the details. I know. It's the the counting head, the shag. He, he committed. Just, you got to commit. You got to go all the way. You got to go all the way with that. Much like Abby and D-Way do. Get everything that they do. Yeah. Now, see, but this is what sets it off. What? They have the routine going. Right. With right? the Grammys. With the Grammys. Right. Just a little, with the Grammy. You got to get the, the Grammy stuff. that they got for lip singing. Just saying. That's, that's tough competition right there on, on the cast. Say it with me now. Relationship goals. Right, right. Those two, man. You and the wife ever dressed up? Uh, No, we haven't. Hmm. No. I, what do you mean, for Halloween? Michael, I, I, I don't need to hear all that. I thought we were in the trust We have dressed up. Are we not? In the- <laughs> you and I have uh, Empire two years ago. That was great. That was awesome. I still have that dress. I don't have the this fur was, coat. I think we could just live off of this. <laughs> Y'all want to know why we ain't doing nothing this year? Because we can live it off of residual. What, how could we do better than that? Sipping a 40. A real 40. Last year. His and hers. You make a pretty good Lucius, though. You make a pretty good cookie. <laughs> I just It just felt so bizarre. You know? That. See, talking about commitment. Emotion. <laughs> Emotion. Shout out to L. Duncan. Meanwhile, Tom Brady, Giselle, avocado and toast. No judgment. No, I'm judging. He's, I'm judging. He's with Giselle. And no, I'm not if judging. She wants that. to be avocado and toast, but you know what? This is probably about his diet, isn't it? Is that what this is about? It's another advertisement for his diet. Okay. Speaking of which, um, he is the cover person for the latest issue of ESPN, the magazine. Does Seth Wickersham ever rest? I know, and and this, much like many of his pieces, is just as excellent. You mentioned the avocado and toast. Just many, uh, one of many details that you can get from this piece about Brady's diet. I felt like I needed to be a scientist reading this. Yeah. I, he wakes up every morning, drinks 20 ounces of purified water, augmented with TB12 electrolytes. I don't even know what that is. And he sleeps in bioceramic bio recovery wear. I don't know what that so is. So now you see why they traded Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, that's, um, th- to bring it full circle, um, yeah, as you mentioned, they make the trade. Looks risky with a 40-year-old. And even as Seth wrote so eloquently, this is a 40-year-old that's trying to defy time in every possible way. Mm-hmm. For look, multiple legacies. Right. <laughs> and, and look, I get it. Like, he, he's a unique and special human being uh, in terms of how he's taking care of his body. He's clearly, com- uh, he's clearly committed to it. It feels risky. It feels risky to me to do this for somebody who's 40 years old. I know he said he will play till he's 45 or wants to. When I don't ever think learn? he will play till when he's 45. Like, I don't. When will you ever learn to doubt that man? It's to not, not about to doubt him. that man. I'm not, I'm not talking about him. Okay. I'm talking about the coach. How many times right. have you questioned his personnel acumen only for it to work out in the end? If Belichick says it's time to flip this dude for a second, then it's time to flip him for a second, and they'll find another one. First of all, you've been trying to put Brady out the pasture. All of y'all came into the season talking about how he's going to fall off and he's getting to be for the first game in the season. You couldn't wait to say. And people start saying it was the Super Bowl, too. Well, even, exactly, yeah. before the before second they, half. Before and against back. Kansas City, same thing. Does he look like somebody who's slowing down? I told you, I would put my money in a fight between him and Father Time on Tom Brady. And now, in the meantime, they can go and draft another quarterback. I mean, y'all, y'all thought he would be cold-blooded when it came to Brady. Mm-hmm. He was cold-blooded and calculated talking about Belichick when it came to Garoppolo. Or maybe, as some conspiracy theorists may say, they look at what Brady, I think he's, he's locked in until 2019, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they go out together. Who knows? Exactly. And maybe it didn't matter. Jimmy Garoppolo, that's why you're in a win-now mode, because they're just going to exhaust he his contract. He always does and best be for the team and who gives you the best chance of winning. So you're telling me that what no, Jimmy Garoppolo does. might be is giving you a better chance of what Brady still is right now, just because nobody's done it in the 45, doesn't mean he can't. It doesn't. All right, the NFLPA has filed an appeal 
uh, to the denial of an injunction in the Ezekiel Elliott case with the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. I don't understand the people who say he should just take his medicine and, and take the suspension. Like, if he believes he's innocent, you got to exhaust every opportunity to fight this, don't you? Yeah, yeah. you do. I mean, so he's filed to appeal like many people expected him to do. The NFLPA, by the way, they've requested a decision by 7 p.m. tomorrow. Drum roll, please. Time for your top six. What are you going with? I have Alabama. I have Georgia. I got Clemson at three, Ohio State at four, Notre Dame five, Oklahoma six. Spears, why no Notre Dame? You tripping, Spears, tripping. <laughs> y'all, first of all, y'all look beautiful today. So beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and second of all, look, I, I think Notre Dame is a very, very good football team. I think they're a little bit one-dimensional offensively. And the four teams that I put up top, I think, could stop that vaunted run game. And then what do they go to? I've seen all four teams that I have in front of them operate on a on a dual level, which is what I'm looking forward to. I, I look at these defensive lines for the first four teams that I have. They would give, to me, in my opinion, all Notre Dame to handle trying to get this run game off. So that, that factored into my decision, but I gave them five. They're right there on the heels up. I hear you. Hey, Spears, real quick before we let you go, you obviously you cover the SEC very closely. Is there a case to be made for Georgia over Alabama at one, given the level of competition or caliber of competition that the Bulldogs have faced as opposed to Alabama, which may pass the eye yeah. test but hasn't faced exactly an impressive uh, level of opponent? Oh, no doubt, Mike. There's an argument for Georgia. They they play team more ranked teams. Obviously, they got the big win against Notre Dame. So the committee is going to have a head scratcher there. You know, everybody Notre Dame likes who you the, don't respect. Gotcha. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. All right. But but everybody everybody is going to give Alabama the benefit of the doubt. Usually, because we know what they are to be. That's when the eye test compared to the strength of schedule comes into play. But this is a scenario for y'all. If Notre Dame is in the top four and you have Georgia at either one or two, you're telling Georgia that you have you've set a precedent that if Georgia gets to that SEC championship game and they lose to Alabama, who are you going to drop? Mm-hmm. Then is it head to head or is it strength of schedule with what Notre Dame has coming down to the end? The committee is in a peculiar position because now you're talking about two teams that have played each other, and if one loses to in the SEC championship and drops out, it will be a firestorm, yeah. boss. All right, man. But, you know, we've been here before. Seven of the 12 in the initial rankings did not make the playoffs. So, True. That, all that will play itself out. Appreciate you joining us, Playboy. All right. See y'all next. Speaking of Playboys. Uh, A-Rod, he told Vanity Fair that on his first date with J-Lo, he went to the bathroom during dinner and texted her, you look sexy AF. <laughs> but then the fire alarm went off and they had to evacuate the restaurant. It worked, didn't it? See, that's why. That's <laughs> what? See, this is why I hate this is because, see, regular Dudes that don't have hundreds of millions of dollars think that like that's cute. It is. He got. He got did he get her or not? Are no. they in Vanity Fair all hugged up and whatnot? Is he not on Fox's broadcast? Yeah, he's grabbing a lot of meat in that Vanity Fair. Before we call it a day, who had a good day? Uh, I have something nice to say about the Knicks. <laughs> Chris Stapps Porzingis had a career high 38 against uh, in a win over the Nuggets. He's the first player in Knicks history with five 30-point games in the team's first six. Look at that. All right, I'll tell you, it's about to be a good night because in the association, we get Russell Westbrook in the Thunder in Milwaukee to take on Giannis Antetokounmpo in the Bucks. Giannis averaging a league leading 34.7 points, 10.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists per game. 
I mean, it's, they're going to put on the show So tonight. we should plan on I'm having hurry up and highlight, highlights of, of Giannis tomorrow because, you know, that's your MVP. I built the bandwagon. <laughs> I built this. Who put this together? That's it for the six. Sports Center continues on ESPN News. The first college football playoff rankings revealed right now. Or in a few minutes.